Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes. They visit the Breslin Center on Thursday night. And before we start, I just want to go over a couple things, clean up some business here. The first is I released the Normand interview and realized that the audio version, if you listen to it, you're like, boy, that seems sort of familiar. That almost sounds like his recruitment in the summer. That's because I put the wrong audio in. And so, so the interview is now there. If you re-download that, you can listen to it. It's about 20 or so minutes, or you can watch online uh, on a, our YouTube channel. If you have not had the opportunity to, you can go over, sign up for that and you can watch the, the interview with him. And he's hilarious. It's a great interview. I mean, I, again, I think we've mentioned this a number of times in social media and also on this podcast. He's a guy you, you are going to really cheer for. You're going to love watching him play. I mean, I, I mean, the guy broke his hand chasing after a ball, right? I mean, I, think, <laughs> I don't think you can ask for much more of that except for him to stay healthy. <laughs> so I would encourage you to go check that out. Uh, also, you know, we took on sponsor Nudge Printing, and they've been great. And we've had a great response. And so really, thanks so much to all you guys. I mean, it's a great product and so it's not hard to sell it in that sense, but, um, and they, you know, provide great apparel, but it's, it's not, we talked to Gabe and Brittany and they're, and they've been very, very happy with the response you guys supporting them who support us. And so that's really means a lot to us. And so, uh, we're very excited to have them on as partners for our show and the support they offer for us. Uh, you know, speaking of nudge printing, you can go to nudgeprinting.com and they're, Listeners of this show get 20% off their orders by just entering the code FINAL4 at checkout. They have all kinds of things. I mean, I've got a really nice sweatshirt that's soft. It's um, it's lightweight, and so it's not as bulky as like lots of sweatshirts. And so uh, their T-shirts are also really good. It turns out the T-shirts that we printed through a different printer are pretty much the same, the same brand. It's a little bit different makeup, but essentially they're nice, soft, high-quality T-shirts, screen-printed, so they're very durable and I think you'll be very happy with them. I've had a, and I think I mentioned this before with our t-shirts, every, everyone in my family got one and they're like, oh, these are really nice because that's not usually the t-shirts our family buys. We kind of, I guess, buy cheap ones and not realizing they're different qualities and brands. And so anyway, you'll feel the same way with the nudge printing ones. And so I'd encourage you to check out their stuff. You, even if you're not just a, you're looking for stuff for non-Spartan fans, they got 60 schools there. Most of the schools in Michigan outside of the one in Ann Arbor. Uh, and they have all kinds of some random schools too, like, you know, the Naval Academy, they've got uh, Florida Gulf Coast and a number of others and Texas schools and such and Baylor and stuff. So check out their stuff. They got really cool decals. I've got one on my computer and it's, um, it's like a dunking Sparty with a basketball, like a gruff Sparty. And I, that's one I think we've looked at before and I don't, I don't know when it's from, but I think there, it's an old, 
it's an old um, uh, logo that that they've gotten licensed for all the vintage stuff. And they've got license for other things like Tuck Cumming and stuff like that. So if you want to get that sort of stuff, you can check it out. They've had 600 five-star reviews. So great product, great company, MSU alum, all made in Michigan. So you can't go wrong. So again, that's at nudgeprinting.com and enter code FINAL4 at checkout for 20% off discount. All right. Now we need to talk about Iowa. Now, as listeners of the show have been around a while and they recall from the preseason, I, I'm a graduate from Iowa for medical school. So I am, I, Iowa is my number two team in the Big Ten. And Rod is harboring a grudge against Iowa from when he was back in high school. And so they are the number 13 team in the Big Ten. <laughs> and so we, are, we should be well balanced in the show, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have to think about it. Do I, do I dislike it? It depends on the year. And, and honestly, the incident that I had was at a football game. So, but yeah, I'm not, I'm now that said, there's a gigantic grand Canyon sized gulf between Iowa. If they are at 13 and right. the school yeah. that's at 14. So you know, there's that, <laughs> but I actually, look, I have to say at the outset, Fran McCaffrey doesn't cheat to my knowledge. Um, seems like he has good relationships with his players. In fact, I think if you look at it, not, they haven't had, had a ton asked of to guys maybe, you know, transfer right? out of that program. You know, there's certainly, yeah, but there's certainly other schools that have, a lot more turnover and he's also had guys come back for fifth years when you know they could have opted to mm-hmm. go elsewhere i mean last year that was the case with uh bohannon um you know so he must he must be doing something right i i don't like his approach to the game in the in the sense that he doesn't care about defense really that i find that I found want, I find wanting, but, um, you know, they, they run, they play a fast paced game, which I like. Um, they do try at least generally speaking to be an effective rebounding team. And, you know, they, I, and I have to give him his due. Iowa went through a really bad period for about, mm, I would say, you know, depending upon how you measure it, at least 12, 13 years, maybe even slightly longer, where, you know, the end of the Tom Davis era was not great. Um, Steve Alford's time had a lot of promise and then ultimately more disappointment than actual delivery. The Todd Licklider era was shockingly bad. Yes. And so you have to give McCaffrey his due. What he's managed to, to, to do at Iowa is bring them back to a level where they are more often than not, far more often than not, actually, an NCAA tournament-worthy team. They haven't really been a legit Big Ten title contender. I mean, I guess you could have called them that uh, a couple of years ago during the COVID year, Luca Garza senior year, but I, I never felt they were a legitimate 
title contender and they didn't win it in the end. Um, they haven't really had any kind of NCAA tournament success, but you know, just making the tournament normally far more often than not is an accomplishment. I think at, at Iowa, because it's not a program for whom there are obvious reasons why they should be ultra, ultra successful. Right. Right. That the state does not produce a boatload of talent. And oftentimes when they do produce a really, really good player, that player goes out of state. That's happened many, many times. They've lost kids to Kansas, to Carolina, even to Iowa state, you know, so yeah. there's not a lot of reason why Iowa should be any different fundamentally than say Nebraska in basketball, not much of a reason. And I think there are arguments why schools like Minnesota, Wisconsin, et cetera, should be better, but yet he's managed to pull it off. Um, and you got to give him his due for at least making them a very competitive. And I would say, good program probably not very good certainly not excellent but a good program and and doing it as i say by all accounts everything i've ever heard he's done it cleanly um and uh you know i just sometimes he's had a few guys you know bohannon being one where i didn't really love the attitude um and then of course there's Fran's famous sideline meltdowns, which to me are more entertaining than anything else. I mean, people around the league, Mike, Mike Woodson just seemed to be on a, on the war path about it. But, uh, I find it entertaining because usually it's a sign things are going really badly for Iowa. So, um, I love the Franometer. you know, yeah, that's, Francon, yeah. to me, to me, that's, that's probably, the greatest big 10 basketball related meme of all time. I don't, <laughs> the only one that comes close to me were the, the, there's a variety of Ted Valentine, the old, not Ted Valentine. I'm sorry. Ed Hightower, the old Ed Hightower memes where they got Ed Hightower, like in a star Wars scene. And, you know, for a variety, it's the only one that comes close, but to me, Fran Khan is, uh, is the King. Yeah. And I would, and I would only add that the one thing that, uh, Fran McCaffrey cheats at is death. You think for sure he'd have blown an aneurysm by now. Yeah. I think we can safely say he has no aneurysms because if he did, they would certainly have caused a brain bleed by now. It's a, it's a good point, man. And that, that gets harder to withstand the older you get. I think, I know that's the case for me. If if you get really mad and you're yelling as it's a lot harder (laughs) to take than when you were 20. Um, and yet he keeps, he keeps on going. So, um, the other thing about him too, this is interesting, uh, to me, at least in comparison to some other guys around with hot tempers, um, I can think of, uh, and I talked about this on the Spartan mag board earlier this year, you know, Danny Hurley is a guy that I've seen on multiple occasions, including it's Michigan state last year melt down and then not be able to compose himself. Yeah. Let it affect the way he was actually coaching his team. He spent in a, in a tight game against Michigan state last season he, late 
The game was right there to be won by either side. He spent an entire time out haranguing the officials rather than getting back into his own huddle. And his team faded. Michigan State won that game. You know, Tom Izzo's got a legendarily volcanic temper at times with officiating. But do you ever see a situation where you feel like he lets that take him out of the game? I can't recall one. And I think Fran, for the most part, too, I've observed that he has these epic meltdowns, but I don't feel like it costs him possessions or games. You know, he seems to be able to get it back together enough uh, which then makes you wonder how much of it is real and how much of it is theater. I think it's real. <laughs> I, I do too, but it at least it occurs to me when you could pull it back that quickly. Now, I will say I have heard anecdotally, and you might have more insight in this than I do. I don't know. I have heard anecdotally that his wife absolutely blows him away. Yes. She's been thrown out of games at Siena when she was, she okay. was thrown out of All the right. arena. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it was at Siena or at the, the visiting arenas, but she's been thrown out of games, which even if you thrown out of one game. Isn't it remarkable that his kids aren't worse? Well, I mean, there are stories because, of course, they grew up in Iowa City uh, when they were in you know high school and uh-huh. maybe even middle school. I'm not sure. And there are stories about I don't know. I know about Connor. I don't know about Patrick. Patrick and they do yeah. seem like different kids. Yes. Uh, to me. I would say Patrick Connor was calmer. Connor is a fiery uh, young man and he was more so in high school and he was, I guess, you know, I've talked to people who were like announcers for games and like for the radio or something, or they were, it was colorful language is not unique to just Fran and his wife, apparently. So I believe that, but I just mean you would think actually playing if you come from that kind of temperament, it would be even worse. You know, you'd be getting into you know, Hunter Dickinson esque antics, you know, or worse. Yeah. And I haven't really seen him go that ballistic. I actually felt Bohannon was a more obnoxious player than he is. Yeah. I, I think that's probably true. I mean, Bohannon certainly has run his mouth off the court far more. Yeah. No question. I, I, th- I think this, and I, this may be an example, may sort of, I guess, put a bow on your, comments about Fran and, and his ability to sort of have, um, you know, strategically, you know, you're angry, but he can strategically use it to motivate his team. And I think we see yeah. Izzo, lots of coaches do that. I mean, all the time, right. You get the technical to kind of get refs attention, get your team's attention or whatever. And I think probably it's probably safe to say that Connor is the same way and that he knows how to channel it or control it when it needs to be controlled. I, I don't, right. and I don't know outside of later. I just know he had pretty, um, uh, notorious temper when he was playing gotcha. in high school, but that may have changed. It, it certainly does. I mean, he's at least doesn't, it doesn't let him, it doesn't seem to bleed over into his game negatively as far as I can tell. And that's a uh, credit to him. And, you know, you can use all sorts of motions either to your detriment or to your advantage. And I think they probably both those guys use it to their advantage in some respects. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Iowa. Iowa's 12 and 7. They're 4 and 4 in the Big Ten. They're 35th overall in the Ken Palm rankings. Their offense, per usual, is number five in the nation in efficiency. Their defense, not so good. 145th, which is kind of typical. So on offense, they're really good in not turning the ball over and valuing the possessions. They're fourth in turnover percentage. And they're pretty good in everything else. They shoot 34.4% from three, which is 141st ranking, which is not great. 
but I think they've been better of late. They're 105th from two, and then they're 76th in offensive rebounding percentage. They don't get to the line a ton, 99th uh, in field free throw attempts, and they're 73.4% when they get there, so a pretty good shooting show. So the big problem, of course, with them is on defensive end. They're For even a Fran McCaffrey level uh, defense, they're, they're pretty bad. The third worst in his uh, stay. They're 216th against twos, 205th against threes. They don't uh, they don't give up a whole lot of offensive rebounding's uh, rebounds. So, well, I guess they are because because <laughs> they're 161st in defensive rebounds. Yeah, that's that's not they good. They, they don't force a lot of turnovers, which is a little unusual for this team compared to last year. Last season, I think they're much better at turnovers, but I do think that's somewhat related to the fact they only have one Murray as opposed to two. Um, they don't foul, so they're, they hardly ever foul. They're number three in the nation in, in fouling, and um, and they play at a pretty fast pace. Like you mentioned earlier, they they tend to, to run. They like to get out and break and transition. They're 54th in pace of play, which is pretty fast for the Big Ten. Big Ten doesn't generally be that is not the fastest of conferences. Yeah, and and you know teams. It's similar to when teams face Michigan State, um, historically at least. You know they know Michigan State is going to look to push. And so Big Ten teams will do everything they can to limit that. But, um, you know, I think one of the differences is if Iowa historically, if they get the ball into the front court and they're forced to play a half court game, that's not going to actually slow their pace down that much because they're much more prone than Michigan State is to take quick shots if they're in a half court game, you know, so that's what keeps their pace up. Uh, But they do like to run. Look, it's it's a different team than they've had the last, you know, three seasons, two, three seasons. Um, offensively, they're not a very good shooting team. I mean, this is not the Iowa teams that we've seen the last few years where they had multiple guys that just can kill you. You know, if you think about their team two years ago, where you had Luca Garza, who had become a very good shooter. You had Bohannon, you had CJ Frederick, you had a uh, Weisskamp. I mean, they just all up and down the lineup. They had guys that could just bust you from deep. They don't have that with this team. They're okay. They're not horrendous, but they're not great. What's keeping their offense overall where it is, is the fact that they just do not give the ball away. They don't make mistakes. So come hell or high water, I was going to get a scoring attempt where they have the ball. You know, that's what their seasonal profile tells you. And the fact that they're not terrible in any area. They're mediocre in a lot of them offensively, but they're not awful. So it's not offsetting that really, really strong performance um, handling the ball, not giving it away defensively, you know, every year on this podcast, when these games come around against this team, we talk about (laughs) how awful they are defensively, but this is really above and beyond. I mean, they are Fran McCaffrey's been there. I think like 12 or 13 years now, long time time. This is on track to be the third worst defensive team he's had. Think about what that means. Cause they've had some really bad defensive teams. This one is beyond. And I think, look, I mean, if, if you just say it, they're not gifted in terms of athletes, you know? So you start with that. 
But then beyond that, there's just no culture of defense. You know, I, I would take Fran McCaffrey a little more seriously. And honestly, if he was honest with himself, I think he would look at doing this. He really ought to do what John Beeline did. He ought to admit defeat and just admit to himself, I can't fix this. I, 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 I have my principles that I believe in on offense, and we're never going to give those up. But we've got to start checking better if we want to contend for anything meaningful. And I've got to bring in somebody on the staff who can teach that and can teach it in a way that doesn't require me to change what I look for on offense, which is important. You know, if you, if you look back at John Beeline's teams, when they made that switch, um, they didn't really change anything offensively. They didn't change the kind of players that they were recruiting. Beeline still emphasized the same things. And, and I think you can do that and yet find a scheme that will work with those players and teach it effectively. That's what had been missing at Michigan and it changed. And the last like four years or so that he was there, they were an outstanding defensive team, not just decent. They were really, really good. I think that McCaffrey would be um, well-served to think about doing something similar, but I have no idea whether that's ever going to happen. I mean, it's, it's tough to get some of these guys to change the way they see things, but if Iowa was even an average Big Ten defensive team, say in the 50s or 60s, how many more wins would they have? Yeah, not just this right. year, but just generally. Sure. It's hard to win big. You can win some, but it's hard to win big in the Big Ten if you can't stop people. I mean, look at the difference between this Purdue team and last season's Purdue team. I would take last season's Purdue team on a man-by-man, quote-unquote, talent basis every day of the week. But so far, at least, this year's Purdue team is faring better. Now, some of that is maybe the league isn't quite as good at the top. You know, there are other considerations. But I would submit the most important thing is Purdue has gotten back to playing Purdue defense, which they did not do last year. So if you're not going to go out and guard people, you are going to have a hard time winning Big Ten championships or even being in serious contention for them. You'll also have a hard time going all that deep in March, in my opinion. It is it is hard, 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 hard. Well, we see this all the time, right? You see when you have a team that is one-dimensional in the sense that you're good only on one end of the court and you're yep. really bad in the other. We see the same thing with Rutgers, right? We say defensively they're solid, you know, they're big, whatever, but they can't shoot, and so – you know, you, you might, you get all the stops you want, but if you can't ever score the ball, you're not going to win. Right. And likewise for Iowa, you know, what if you don't score qu- at quite the pace? Well, now you're suddenly in a, in a conundrum because you can't ever stop someone. And so it just, you know, on the, when in the small margins that you have for big 10 games, it makes a difference, right? It prevents you in my view from having and finding consistency. It essentially dooms you to this bit of a roller coaster ride where you're going to have nights where your offense is good enough and it'll get the job done, but you are going to have other nights where you're playing a team that can hold you down a bit, 
either because they're that good defensively or you're just off your shooting touches. I mean, I was, I was watching Penn state and Rutgers tonight before we started recording Penn state's a great three point shooting team. It's a key to their success this year. When I turned the game off, I think they were three for 20 from three. It <laughs> happens, good. you know, yeah. it even opened Rutgers is a good defense, really good defensive team, but even open shots, they just weren't falling. That happens. So if you're just good offensively, you're going to have nights where you're not up to your usual standard. And then if you consistently can't guard people, you've got no chance to sustain anything. And I think that's, I think that's why you typically see Iowa as a program that like, you know, I would say most years, the ceiling over there is going to be like 12 and eight. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. They're just never going to be able to have enough consistency because of the defense to get into an area where they could truly think about contending. And, and again, going back to what we were talking about at the outset, if that's, if that's all you want, that's fine. And that might be where it's certain. Look, I'm not suggesting the Iowa administration should be looking to get rid of Fran McCaffrey far from it. They've seen, it can be a lot worse, a lot worse. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But if I were an Iowa fan, it would be frustrating to me that after more than a decade in charge and a lot of tournament bids during that period, that my program was never seriously in the hunt for a big 10 championship, never, never made like a good second weekend run, even that those things just don't ever happen. That would, that would frustrate me. Like even Purdue, where you can, you can bag on Matt painter for the lack of March success. His teams have won enough big 10 titles that you could say, okay, one of these years, they're going to have a breakthrough. You know, but Iowa doesn't even have that to fall back on. It would, it would be frust. It would be very frustrating. I would almost, I would almost equate it to, if you were a fan of a of an NBA team, let's say, that's a consistent playoff participant, but never seriously in the conversation to get to the finals. You know, that's kind of what Iowa is, right? They're an eternal sixth or seventh seed in the NBA playoffs. Yep. And I would say, you know, to your point about Iowa, even when they had a super elite offense, you know, they can, they bust through that ceiling of 12 wins, but they're not getting 16, right? So they're just getting a couple more. Yeah. That's the rare season. Like, like they had two years ago where their offensive talent was just overwhelming. They had everything. They could kill you from three. They had the best low post player in America. They ran, they didn't turn the ball over. I mean, they really did everything. They re offensive rebounded. There wasn't an area they were weak in, and yet no Big Ten title and not even seriously in it at the end. Yeah. Well, they're, they've been an interesting season. They start out 0-3 in the Big Ten. They then ran off four in a row after Patrick McCaffrey, well, the youngest son for Fran McCaffrey, uh, left the team or at least took a, I should say, took a pause for some mental health issues, he said, with anxiety. And they most recently went to Ohio State, which you predicted, and got beaten and what uncharacteristically for them they had i want to say seven turnovers in the first 10 minutes of that game which right. is, which is again very unusual for them and that was sort of spilled their doom they just trying to play catch up most of the game even though uh, they just couldn't handle ohio state um and then I, you know i guess the one question i have for you is is 
clearly Fran McCaffrey is a good offensive coach. What is it about his offense? Or is it a t- the types of players or the way they run things that makes him so effective offensively year after year, despite having, you know, different players? It's not like relying on a, you know, a one and done guy who suddenly make you know, boost their numbers. This is clearly a good system that works. And how is that different from say Michigan state? I think somewhat similarly, although they don't run exactly the same stuff, but somewhat similarly to John Beeline and Tom Izzo too. every coach tries to recruit to what they want to do. Sure. And so I have to think that Fran McCaffrey recruits guys who fit his thing. So he recruits guards that are uh, players, period, that are skilled. They have ball skills, meaning they can shoot the ball well, they pass the ball well, they handle the ball well, they don't commit, they don't make a lot of mistakes. And then uh, after that, I have to believe, you know, and this is something that, again, I think especially casual fans don't realize. I suspect that people who aren't really tuned in think that coaches have unlimited amounts of time to work their teams. It's <laughs> right. quite the contrary. You have very fixed, limited periods of time, both during the season and off season when you can practice. And so what you choose to do with that limited amount of time you get is going to vary wildly from coach to coach tends to be the things that they emphasize. Right. So I have to believe that Fran McCaffrey, like some other guys, like a John Beeline, John Beeline's thing for years and years was he really just emphasized with repetition what he wanted from his players offensively, how to read, you know, because he, he kind of got to a read-react thing that he was running, how to make proper reads, um, make good decisions, obviously stay sharp as shooters, work on their passing, those types of things. And so I have to believe Fran McCaffrey, it's, it's not an accident where you see this year after year after year after year with different players, you know, it's, it's what's emphasized. And that's why I was saying, I think it would behoove him to think about bringing in someone on his staff who comes from a defensive background and, and can teach that, you know, Michigan did it first for, I think a year with Billy Donlin. And then when he left to go to Northwestern, they brought in Luke Yaklich and they actually got even a little better. So that was two guys that John Beeline was able to get past whatever issues he might've had and say, I got to bring in somebody who can effectively teach and implement what we do at this end to give us a better chance of being a consistent contender. And it worked. And I think that would help frame McCaffrey because when I look at Iowa, I see a program that emphasizes one end of the court pretty clearly in what they do in, in how they identify players. Like, I don't, I don't think Fran McCaffrey is bothered by seeing a high school player who doesn't guard well, right. You know, and might not even have the physical tools to be, you know, an obvious guy who could improve if that player has sufficient ball skills for him to like him offensively. I think he makes those choices. And, you know, and then when you add to it that there just isn't much improving that's done 
in their program on that end. Well, this is what you get, whatever they are, 145th in the nation and defensive efficiency. I mean, that is for a big 10 program that is rock bottom of the barrel. I mean, you just, you're a, you're a bit worse than almost half the other teams in the country. And those include like, you know, Montana state. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Well, let's talk about starters for Iowa. And actually, I think this is kind of ties in real well to what you were just talking about. So Connor McCaffrey, six, six senior doesn't make many mistakes. He was a starter two years ago and lost starting job last year, but two years ago, he was, he was an amazing feeder, a post feeder for, for Luca Garza. He could get the ball to him. And I mean, it was incredible, which is why they had to have him on the court. Cause he just fed that guy and probably had a million assists that season. He still leads the team in assists this year at 51, just 17 turnovers. He's averaging 7.7 points a game on 45, 38 and 94 shooting. And because of his size and just activity, he gets 3.3 rebounds a game. He's a testament to your point that he, there's a guy who couldn't hit the, you know, a famous Iowa expression, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn his first year or two in, at Iowa. He was miserable from outside. And now he's almost a 40% shooter from outside. He's really improved his offensive game, but his defensive game hasn't really changed much aside from, I think his size lends him to get some, make some plays from time to time. Yeah. I mean, the improvement's clear on the, he's always been a good decision maker. I, I would submit that for as good as Iowa is offensively, it's, it's been a long time. I mean, I, I would say I would make an argument that maybe the most dynamic point guard they've had during his time there, um, might've been, uh, Sap Clemens, a kid from Sexton, who was a teammate of Denzel Valentine and Bryn Forbes. And he wasn't that dynamic a player, but that my, my point is for as good as McCaffrey is in that area, imagine if he was able to create more, he really doesn't create much because he's not a gifted enough athlete. He doesn't penetrate particularly well. You know, he's become a good shooter, but he's not a guy who really distorts your defense trying to deal with him. Um, I had this conversation today on the Spartan mag board. Someone pointed out that Trey Holloman has the best assist to turnover ratio of anyone in the big 10 who's playing at least 10 <laughs> minutes a game. It's really right. good. It's like four and change. Yeah. You know, that's great. And it's no knock on him. He's a freshman uh, for him to show the maturity to play that way and not make mistakes is great, but he's not going to break through to the net. I would like to see that number come down a bit because if it comes down a bit, it's probably going to tell me that he's trying to be more dynamic. He's trying to make things happen more often and taking more chances. So that's my only yeah. criticism of Connor McCaffrey offensively is his assisted turnover numbers have been like that his entire career. But I just wonder sometimes, man, how good could Iowa be if they actually had a Cassius Winston, an AJ Hogard, you know, somebody yeah. like that running their offense. Yeah. And he's, he's also the guy, if there's ever a situation where you need a, a long pass, like at the end of a half or something like that, he is the guy, he is, has amazing ability. He's a baseball player and he really can th launch the ball really the full length of the court if, if needed. So They've, I think they've had a couple of game winners on his passes, uh, you know, like, full yeah, I mean, he's look, much. he's, he's a guy, if you're an Iowa fan, I'm sure you like him because he's, he's reliable. You know what you're going to get from him. He doesn't make mistakes. 
and he has certain tools that are very advantageous to have. You mentioned the ability to consistently execute post feeds. People don't think about how important that is. That is really important to have somebody who can do that when you have low post weapons, you know, the way yeah. Iowa's had. And uh, yeah, so there's things he brings to the table. It's just, as I say, he's not quite dy as dynamic as I would like. And defensively, he's a disaster, but aren't they all? Yeah. <laughs> well, the next starter is Aaron Ulis, a 6'3 junior. Uh, he's averaging 5 points, 9 points a game on 36, 30, and 79 shooting. Third in the team assists, 47, just 21 turnovers. And he's, a, I think, a, he's an example of that dynamism that really Iowa lacks because I think they hoped they were going to get some more dynamic uh, guard action from him. And he really is... He really struggles to create much of anything. I, I'm actually sort of amazed that he's shooting 30% from three, but you know, I think it's in fairly low volume. Yeah. You know, for those who might not realize he's a younger brother of uh, Tyler Ulis, who was so great at Kentucky and was actually a kid. Michigan state was very interested in, um, this Ulis is about five or six inches taller than his brother but he's not nearly the player. And a big part of what's missing is what we were just talking about. He's not dynamic. He's also not a consistent shooter at all. So those things have held him back. Yeah. Then will be Tony Perkins again, somewhat similar story, six, four junior guard. He's averaging 10.8 points a game on 40, 29 and 70 shooting. He's tied in the team with assists at 51, but he does have more turnovers partly because he, the way he plays, he will be the, he's the kind of guy who will dribble into the lane and try and make some stuff happen and get some mid range jumpers. And he's probably the only player who really does that from a guard position for, for Iowa. Yeah. And that gets him to trouble sometimes. And he hasn't really, I, this is sort of what I expected. I did not expect him to make much of a jump this season. Cause I thought he kind of seemed like he's kind of hit a ceiling last year. And it's pretty much been the case. He's not shooting a lot better and he's not really scoring. He's really much the same player as he was last season. Yeah. Except the shooting is slightly down across the board. Cause he's shooting more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's probably true. But I actually did think he was set to make a jump because he was really good for them down the stretch last season. Like he took a step up as a sophomore, very undervalued recruit. It's funny. You know, when I was doing this, I guess I, I knew he was from Indiana, but I hadn't realized where he played, he played at um, Lawrence North, which is a, a public school in Indianapolis that has a very storied history. So if you play there, you know, and you are really legitimately great, you're not going to be overlooked. He was a guy who didn't have, I don't believe he had an offer from either Purdue or Indiana, you know, Iowa took him and he was very much an off the radar sort of recruit. Um, in the same class as the Murray's who both fit that mold as well. Unlike right. the Murray's, he hasn't had quite that jump, but I really thought as a back end of last season, okay, this is their next guy who's going to be, um, you know, an effective scorer. I mean, I didn't think he was going to be a complete player by any means, but I thought he would be better than this. And he's actually been a little worse. So I think that's maybe limited Iowa a little bit. Yeah, I think so. All right, next player, Chris Murray. He's the t identical twin to Keegan Murray, who left last year and went to the NBA at a first-round draft pick. 
he's obviously the, the player's best player. He's a 6'8 junior, averaging 21.3 points a game at 51, 38, and 76 shooting, almost nine rebounds a game. Uh, they all lead the team. He also averages a, a little over a block a game. He's probably a better shooter than his brother was, yeah. as we mentioned earlier. Uh, from <laughs> He is a mirror twin to his brother Keegan, so it means he's a lefty where Keegan was a righty. And the other thing, interesting thing is it's incredibly common for those of you who are interested. 25% of identical twins are actually mere twins where it's like, you know, freckles are on the left side, right side, et cetera, those sorts of things. But anyway, he is their best player. And I think the reason that I was struggling a little bit is that although Chris is better this year than last year, Keegan's no longer there. And they had, they really benefited from having both Murray's in the court oftentimes, both offensively and defensively. Sure. Yeah. Because Chris Murray last year was a really good role player for them. You know, and, and his, his elevation to this status is not a shocker, right? I mean, I think we saw this coming. It was debatable as to what level he would get to, but he's pretty much maxing that, maxing that out. I mean, he's, you know, he borders on being a double, double guy every night, as you said, arguably a better shooter than his brother was. Um, and he's had no problem taking on the mantle of being the man rather than a support guy, which, you know, sometimes players struggle with that. He hasn't had yeah. that problem. He's a, look, he's tough. I mean, if Iowa was sitting in a better spot in the league, you could make a pretty good argument that he should be right there with Zach Eady for big 10 player of the year. As it stands, I think Zach Eady's going to win it in a walk. If this keeps up with Purdue. Um, but, but Chris Murray has had every bit, the kind of season Iowa fans could have hoped for. I mean, to me, he's, he's 99th percentile in terms of what he's achieved versus what were reasonable expectations. Yeah. No, I don't think it's any question. And, and when he has a bad game, the team is almost certainly in trouble. Like they, when yeah. they played, uh, New York, I'm trying to remember who they played with playing Duke maybe. Yeah. I think they, I think it was Duke. Or maybe it was Kansas. I can't remember who it was. Whoever they played in New York in that one um, game out uh, next to Illinois playing the other game, they Murray had a bad game. He was injured. He was out for a couple games, and he came back. Uh, so when he's out, they're they're not the same team at all. Sure. Uh, finally, a F- Philip Rocha, six nine senior. Uh, he's really been improved a lot this year. He's averaging f- almost fourteen points a game and rebounding at eight point four point uh, rebounds a game. He's shooting forty, thirty three, and eighty one. Leads the team with blocks. He's a guy they got in a transfer. I think was from North Dakota a couple of years ago. He came in because of the departure of Garza, and then also Jack Nunji sort of surprisingly left and went to Xavier. And he's he's been really good, and he's a very good post player and tough guy. And um, I don't know, he's been a good addition for their team, which they desperately needed in that five spot. Absolutely. Without, without him, they'd be in real trouble um, at, at the five. Uh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's gotten better last season. I felt like, you know, he was a, he was a guy they needed somebody with size and he gave them that he was okay, you know, but he's definitely got up a level. I mean, you watch him this year, he's much more assertive offensively and, um, and he's been really good on the boards too. So yeah, definitely um, a big positive that they got him to come back for another year and that it's turned out this way. So then we'll go to reserves. We'll start with Peyton Sanford, a 6'7 sophomore. He was, uh, he's basically a, their outside shooter. He's the kind of classic Iowa player who comes in and is just a three-point sniper. 
He's averaging 10 points a game at 41, 30, and 89 shooting. But recently, over the last five games, he's he's hit 50% of his three-point attempts and high volume, 13 of 26. And he gets a number of rebounds at a little under four a game. Uh, he was before that, uh, before his recent uh, five-game streak, he was, I don't know, 0 for like 250 or something from yeah. three uh, in the big time. He was really, truly miserable. Every time he came out, my wife would groan. And now you, he he shoots and you expect it to go in, which is, he's, he's uh, you know, because I think people think most recently of uh, Bohannon. But but Bohannon was, um, he was like a guy on one night, off the other night. And, yeah, and very streaky. Sanford has definitely been more, has been... I guess you could say he's streaky because he was you know, off for like five games in a row, but he's also a sophomore. But he's definitely been much better and playing with a lot more confidence in the last few games. He's he's lethal for sure and something to worry about. Well, I think, you know, last year, I think he was a plus 40% guy. I didn't look it up. Um, but my, my, sense, my sense was he was much more consistent in a lesser role. This year, you know, he was starting for a while. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was. Yeah. Yeah. He was terrible. And it just, <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, that's the thing. He's shooting 30% on the year from three and that's after a five game 13 for 26 <laughs> run. So right. how bad was he before that? You know, he, this was a guy who's supposed to be one of your snipers and he was somewhere in the low twenties, you know, yeah, but he's turned himself in the foot. Yeah. He's turned that around lately. So, um, you would expect that you're going to see the better version of what he's been, but look, he's able to contribute a little bit as a rebounder. Cause he doesn't have bad size, terrible defensively, but again, they all are, um, the bottom line with him though, is he has to be hitting from three to really give them the kind of contributions they need out of him. He's not a guy who you look at and say, well, he does a little bit of everything. No. He's a three-point shooter. That's his role. Yeah. I think if you look at him and compare him to Miller Cop from Indiana, who we just faced. That's a good he, one. He's a, The one thing I would say is he has more ability to penetrate and hit shots inside than Miller Cop, but not by a ton. So he can definitely do a little bit, put it on the deck and getting to a shot, but he's still you know mainly an outside threat. Uh, so next, we'll talk about DeSante Bowen, 6'2", freshman guard. He's played in every game this season. He's averaging four points a game in about 10 minutes a game. He shoots 47 36 and 72, but that's obviously low volume with his points averages. And he is the one who um, drives my wife crazy. She can't <laughs> because, because of all the Iowa players, he has a lot of turnovers. He has almost a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio, which is really bad for this team. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it, right? He has not yet absorbed the Fran method in terms of being able to play effective offense without making mistakes. And you know, everything else is okay. You know, he's shooting reasonably well, but, um, if you, if you can't play mistake-free basketball, it's going to be hard to get a big role, you know? And again, he's had to play. Some of these guys have had to play a little more because their rotation got shortened when Patrick McCaffrey went out. But, um, you know, long run, I would imagine they still think he's a guy for the future at, at the guard spots, but He's going to have to improve that decision-making. That's for sure. Yeah. If people remember last year's and actually the last two years from Iowa might remember Joe Toussaint. He has a little bit of Joe Toussaint and him runs really fast and tries to make a lot of plays and yeah. ends up kind of not doing it. So maybe the same future for him. Hard to know. Uh, next would be Josh Dix, 6'5", freshman. He's been playing quite a bit recently, a lot more than 
previously. He's averaging a little over, little under three points a game on 40 and 45, 67 shooting. Uh, he scored 17 points in the last three games. He is a guy who is deadly outside three. He doesn't do much of anything else besides that, but he's not a guy you want to leave open. Right. Same. Yeah. Uh, similar thing, but less volume than Sanford. Um, he played, you know, he played 31 minutes in the win over Michigan. But other than that, even during this recent stretch, you know, his, his playing time has increased, but it's increased to like, you know, low to mid teens in terms of number of minutes that he's seen. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. Another guy that, you know, you don't really want to leave wide open. Then we'll go to the five spot. Riley Mulvey, 6'11 sophomore. Uh, he's pretty much not playing a whole lot. He's averaging 1.2 points a game and 1.2 rebounds a game. He'll play probably about 10 minutes or so. kind of depends um, He'll to spot uh, Rebracha. He's a guy who would, he came to the game earlier this season. We're like, who is this guy? Because Agundale sort of is the backup for Rebracha. But he's so been hurt. Mulvey. Yeah. yeah, but he's hurt now. So Mulvey's sort of taking over that sort of backup position. And we had, and he's, I don't know. There's not much to really talk about for him, I guess. Besides yeah, just a said. little bit of size right now. Yeah, he's just kind of takes up some space. Finally, Patrick McCaffrey, 6'9", junior. I think it sounds like he's going to play, uh, but it's not sure yet. He's a good player. 12.8 points a game on 40, 33, and 81 shooting. Pulls down a little under five rebounds a game. He's a good player. He's a player that I know opposing teams are probably frustrated watching because he doesn't look like he's super athletic, yet he finds like angles and ways to sort of get in and and doesn't look smooth, but scores a lot. Look, he's a, he's a skilled guy. And the big difference between he and his brother is that he's six, nine rather than six, six. So that gives him a little more in the way of offensive versatility um, than his older brother had. And it's why he was higher rated as a recruit. And, you know, he was like, a, I believe he was a top 50 guy nationally, you know, so it's not a surprise that he's been effective. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, he had some mental health issues, is apparently anxiety related. He sat out of practice, never mind games, for a couple of weeks, but he's been back at practice. Uh, he started back at practice last week, did not play in that Ohio State game, but given that they've had this additional break between that game, which was played on Saturday, and this one coming up on Thursday. I would be kind of surprised based on what I've been reading if he doesn't play. The question is how much. Right. Yeah, whether he, I mean cuz you could envision him coming back and playing his usual 28 7 minutes, right? I mean if it just right. says, "Yep, I'm ready to go play again." Hard to know and from a conditioning standpoint, et cetera, et cetera, if he's ready for that as well, I suppose. All right, so uh we'll step away for just a moment and then we'll come back with the nudge printing keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. 
Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, the five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. We'll start with the obvious one, Chris Murray. He's their number one player. He's their scorer. He's does everything, even defensively. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do and how are you going to defend him is the question. Like, I feel like we have this on a number of games because he plays a four. You know, is that a Joey Hauser guarding him? Is that do you bring a Carson Cooper? Do you, I mean, there are also different ways you envision, you know, does Malik Hall play? what do you sort of, how do you see the Murray and sort of defending him? Well, it's, it's going to start with Joey Hauser. And the only thing you worry about there is, you know, Murray isn't just a three point shooter. He shoots well from out there, but he'll, he'll take, he'll go off the dribble. He'll post, he'll do some things that, that, you know, even though Iowa as a team doesn't do a great job of drawing fouls, Murray is a tough cover. And we know how important Joey Hauser is for Michigan State. So you worry about it from that perspective. Um, you also worry about it in terms of the energy that has to be expended because MSU needs Joey offensively as well, right? So this would be a big spot to have Malik call available. And we'll see if that happens. I, I, the sense I have is that I would put it at more likely than not that he plays but you don't know how much he's going to be able to see the floor. And, you know, you don't know for sure what level, but boy, it would make a big difference because if you don't have him behind Joey, then it's either MSU going small, which might mean more of um, Pierre Brooks, but I really don't think that's an answer more realistically. It means probably, some combination of AJ Hogard and Jaden Akins, which could work, but it's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, you're giving up what four inches at or, least. Or right? right. Or it means more of Carson Cooper, which and uh, look, Carson Cooper's made great strides, but yeah. I don't love the idea of him having to deal with Chris Murray. And I also don't love the idea of having to play major minutes with Carson as the four. I think that would gum up things offensively for Michigan state. Some because you don't get that stretch element. You know, there's a lot, you don't get offensively if you're playing Carson a lot at the four. So, um, so that's a real challenge, you know? Um, I think it starts with Joey's got to be effective and Joey's got to be, um, relatively foul free. If he's in foul trouble, that poses some problems. And then the other thing would be, can Malik call go? Right. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, about Chris Murray is he's very, or he's very good at getting his misses too. And so he can be very active on the, on the boards offensively and he can hurt you there too. So you certainly have to make sure that if he gets a shot up, he only gets one. So the number two key to the game is defensive rebounding. So we already mentioned that I was a pretty good offensive rebounding team. Michigan state has had good performances until the last two games against Rutgers and then Indiana. Rutgers admittedly is a, 
outstanding offensive rebounding team, but they were able to neutralize Purdue and not and hold them to uh, only a few offensive rebounds. So you know we've gone from 11th down to 30th in defensive rebounding just because of those two performances Over a recently. Week. Yeah. yeah, well, it's because the the Rutgers game was just apocalyptically bad. Yeah, right. In, Indiana was yeah. a garden variety eh, kind of performance, but the Ruck the 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 Rutgers game was just a disaster in that area. Look, th- this is not Iowa doesn't have the personnel that they've had in recent years. They 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 don't have um, a Garza out there, you know, as a dominant rebounder. This is one that if Michigan State is focused. I would like to believe they can do a decent job holding these guys down, but they need to, because again, this is not a great shooting team. So you don't want to be giving them second and third chances at the basket. Yeah. They'll certainly punish you if you give them enough opportunities. They're not that bad. Right. And, and I feel like in some ways the, the risk here is if you want to say, well, let's say we double or dig down at Chris Murray or something like that. I think it puts you out of position from a rebounding def- uh, defensive rebounding perspective for lots of the other positions and really with Iowa most of the most of their players can go in to get a rebound like the one I'd say you know looking at starters probably not Aaron Eula so much but even Tommy Perkins gets in there and yep. Con McCaffrey so yep. you know there's a lot of guys who can hit you and so you've got to you get you risk trying to help too much uh, you might get burned I, I'd be surprised to see Michigan State treat Chris Murray that way I mean unless unless he's just laying the wood in the post for starters, yeah. I think it's just really difficult to do with him because he can hurt you from so many different areas of the floor. You know, right. it's one thing if a guy's operating in the post to bring a double, it's another thing if he's 20 feet from the basket, <laughs> you know? So I don't expect to see Michigan State do a lot of that unless he just absolutely leaves them no choice. So, number three key to the game is, of course, threes. Rutgers, we should say it shot the lights out. Indiana, not so much. Still, Michigan State's averaging 37.4% from behind the arc. And you suspect with Iowa's defense, there'll be plenty of opportunities, especially at home. You should get some nice home cooking uh, with Nets. So, you know, can you can you do well there? And then on the other end, can you prevent Iowa from getting lots of open looks? Because they do have a lot of people who can hurt you from behind three if you make it easy. They, yeah, if you make it easy. I mean, they're again, this is not, the kind of shooting team that I was had in recent years, but there are some guys who can hurt you. And, and part of it too, part of the way you evaluate Iowa is what is sand for it? Is he the guy who's been over the course of the whole season or is the guy he's been over the last, you know, two, three weeks, it's very different. And that has a very different impact. It's another reason why I don't think you'll see Michigan state breeding doubles very much against Murray because, um, I don't think they want to let these guys have an opportunity to get on track. You don't want to give Sanford easy looks. That would be a problem. Um, I think offensively is where I'm a little more uh, interested in seeing what happens for MSU because Iowa has given up a terrible percentage against, I mean, teams have just really shot it well from three against them, but One of the few things they've done, they've really done two things well defensively, and that's it. Avoiding fouling and doing a decent job at limiting three-point attempts. So we'll see if they're able to do that against Michigan State. I think a big key for MSU 
absolutely they need A.J. Hogard back and on his game. Because when A.J. Hogard is getting into the teeth of a defense, forcing it to distort, then that's when MSU's ball movement comes into play and generates wide open looks. And that's what you yeah. want to see in this game. And then obviously you got to knock him down when you have wide open. You got to hit him, but I, you know, yeah. look, I, it, I, I've said this certainly many times before here, the way I evaluate the offense, at least in terms of how it's functioning is, are they generating the open looks? If yeah. they're doing that and they're just not falling, Sometimes it's just one of those days. So number four key to the game, guard play. Hogard was not really having a great game against Indiana. Walker, as we found out later, had the, like a stomach bug, and so he didn't play. I mean, he just looked kind of tired and a little out of it. And so can Aikens continue his improved play, both on the defensive and offensive end, to, to give Michigan State a significant edge here? Yeah, you know, I don't worry about, I said this after the Indiana game, I don't worry about A.J. Hogard and, and Tyson Walker. I expect they're both going to bounce back just fine in this game for different reasons, but I think they'll be really good. So then one question is, can Jaden Akins continue at the level we've seen over the last week or so, where I feel like he's really elevated his play? You know, um, mm-hmm. the second half of the Purdue game, the Rutgers game, and then the Indiana game, I think he's been really good and you're starting to see why they felt in the preseason, he was their best player. Um, If that continues, the other two guys are going to be back where they normally are. There's a real advantage then over Iowa's guards, in my opinion. I mean, Chris Murray obviously is their best player by a long shot and Rebracha is pretty effective at the five, but on the perimeter, Iowa's guys, at least in theory and on paper, do not match up. Michigan State has a real advantage there, and they need to exploit it. So we didn't really we didn't really see that against Indiana, and that was part of the reason Michigan State lost that game, in my view. Yeah, right. And so the last key to the game is actually not biblical. It's return of the fallen. Uh, Iowa and MSU both have front court players have been down and out for a while. That's Patrick McCaffrey and Malik Hall. And so, you know, do they play? How much do they play? How effective are they when they come back? Yep. Big factor. And if, if one team gets their guy back and the other one doesn't, that could be a, a serious edge. If both guys are back, if there's a difference between the levels that they're playing at, that could be a big deal. I, I, I really do kind of expect Malik Hall to play. And it seems yeah, like too. McCaffrey is going to play as well from what I've read. Yeah. So um, I would, I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent certitude, but I would certainly <laughs> fall into the more likely than not category as to whether they each see the floor. And then it's just, if that's the case, then it's just down to which guy is able to contribute more. But I think both teams clearly are better for having those guys. We're talking about two very important players to their respective teams. You know, for Iowa, it makes them better offensively. It gives them another player with some size, which, you know, they don't really right now. I mean, who do they have off the bench? That's, that's a true front court player, you know, that could play the four even, um, Mulvey, that's it. You know, the rest (laughs) of these guys, (laughs) you know, so 
it would be a huge advantage to have Patrick McCaffrey back, even in a reserve role, just to have a six, nine guy who can do some different things. Um, and Michigan state, I mean, it's obvious both ends, they could use what yeah. Malik call brings. And then this game offers a prime example of that because he gives you another option to deal with Chris Murray, maybe the best option, at least if he's, if, if he's a normal Malik, he's probably your best choice to defend him. Yeah. I suspect if you see them play, I would guess you're going to see uh, McCaffrey play more than, than Hall. I just think Hall's men's going to get limited because you've got a relatively short turnaround. You got to play Sunday at uh, Purdue and then you have a fairly long rest until you play Rutgers. And so I think there's going to be, they're just going to be a little more judicious about having him play minutes. Yeah, I think we'll that's see. reasonable. I think that's reasonable yeah, to, to expect. Uh, so the other th- key things about the game, you know, Iowa's had an extra day of rest because uh, they their game against Northwestern got canceled. Um, so they've actually hardly played in the last 11 days. They played one game and um, they're going to have to play. Uh, they're really going to have a compressed because they've only played eight games so far. Michigan State's already played nine. And um, so I think both teams will come in well rested and they've had a chance to work on themselves and we'll see if that makes a difference. Uh, also, I think with this game, when it comes to, to Pierre Brooks, you know, his opportunities to get significant minutes. I mean, if Millie Call starts playing, you got to, you got to imagine this sort of is like last chance to really make a good impression to, to make a case for staying on the court more. I, you know, I don't, and he'll, he'll have opportunities to score certainly, but there's, it's going to be a tough defensive assignment to try to chase around these shooters. So, I mean, I think you'll, <laughs> again, it's his opportunity. Well, I, I don't know if, if Malik Hall plays, I don't know that he's going to have an opportunity. Um, the, the reality is when Malik came back earlier, Pierre Brooks's minutes shrunk pretty substantially, you know, um, he has done nothing in the last couple of weeks to warrant continuing to get those opportunities. Right. So given that, um, you know, and, and we've seen MSU go different directions of what we were talking about. We've yeah, seen them go with Carson Cooper at the four. And I don't think there's been anything that's happened that's, that's told them, well, that's not a legitimate option in limited minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. So even if you get Malik back and he's only playing say 15 minutes a night, I still think it's going to be hard. I, I I'm Pierre. It's not to say Pierre's never going to see the floor, but he's going to have an incredibly short leash. And I think there are going to be games like uh, I'm trying to remember which game it was um, where he played very, very limited minutes in a win. And it was just before Hall got re-injured. Maybe it was Wisconsin and Izzo was lamenting. Yeah, "Yeah, I should have gotten Malik in there a little bit more. Um, But the fact is he's got better options. Right. He's got guys that are playing, you know, if you've got Jade Nakins playing well, you've got Malik Hall back and healthy, you know, Trey Holloman has at the very least earned your trust to, because of the way he defends and the way he takes care of the ball, um, that he'll continue to get minutes. Cooper and Kohler have continued to earn trust lately, increased levels of it. You know, now you're talking, you're talking nine guys without Pierre that you're able to play and you have some degree of trust in does Michigan state really want to go much deeper than that? I, I think that there's a strong argument right now against that proposition. So I think it's going to be hard. 
I think it's going to be very hard for Pierre. He's going to have to show the, his only path is probably showing some things in practice or an extreme case of foul trouble for Michigan state where he steps up and just contributes in a big way. Those are his paths. I think you're right. I, I, I guess I envision him having an opportunity with this, maybe the beginning game where Malik Hall just kind of has a little, a few minutes that his first stint in, he's got to look good, right? He's got to be locked That's in defensively true. and rebounded stuff. Yeah. And so that will you more minutes throughout the game. If you th- lay an egg to start with, you're probably not going to see the floor again. What's troubling about it is when you listen to Izzo, he's, he's said this repeatedly and with growing insistence lately, he said he likes Pierre as a, as a kid, as a person. And he believes in him. He believes that there is a very good player there. But he also says that Pierre is not doing the things he needs to do, not just in games, but in practice and on his own time. That's the troubling part, because what you've heard all year long about a guy like Jackson Kohler, who, although at a different position, has some roughly similar issues, lack of innate athleticism, not being in, you know, tip top conditioning, um, somewhat similar between those two guys. But Izzo consistently has said Jackson Kohler is, has a work ethic and he's doing everything he can to get better. And lo and behold, in his last two games, we've seen him really step up and contribute. And look, and even in the areas where he's weak, I'm not saying he's been perfect, but he looks better. You can see some improvement. That's not going to be a linear path. He's going to have, I'm sure he's going to have ups and downs and it might be a bumpy ride for him in this game. Who knows? But because of the way he works, he's going to continue to get opportunities. And, and that's where the difference is. And that's the unfortunate thing with where Pierre sits right now. And it's, it's why I'm saying, I don't think he's going to see the same kinds of opportunities that he's been getting, because if you're not showing a coach in practice and with your individual work that you're willing to do the things necessary to get better, then he's just not going to give you an opportunity if he has other options. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, you know, the final thing I would say is I was coming in with uh, Robrach is a solid center and, but he's, and he's decent defensively, I think, but this is a, this is, I think an opportunity with Jackson, you know, with his offensive skills, he's shown the last few games. Agreed. This might be a game where you see them get some stuff going on inside and in post, maybe not, maybe not with Madi specifically feeding him a lot in the post, but I wonder if you might see a little bit going on there for, for Michigan State being able to attack inside a little bit on Iowa. Look, I think a couple things. I think one thing you want to get Iowa and pick and roll. And that might be a way to spring Marty loose because Marty needs Marty needs a comeback game. Marty's play. Marty's play has been at both ends has not been as good as, and even in terms of rebounding, he's just has not been as good as he was. So if you can get Iowa and some pick and roll stuff, you might be able to get, some some slip action on lobs to him, which would be good. But uh, relative to Kohler, look, if you can score in the blocks against Trace Jackson Davis, you can do it against <laughs> Philip Robracha. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think at least on paper, 
this is a game where you could see some opportunities for Jackson. Certainly when Mulvey comes in as well, right? I mean, I think there's uh, oh, a opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if they're playing Mulvey any kind of serious minutes off the bench, you've got to attack him. Yeah, you know, and, and interestingly, you know, Iowa was one of the programs that had been recruiting Kohler heavily before MSU got involved. So there's probably some motivation both ways. Yeah, right. You, sure. And you can see why. I think he'd be playing more at Iowa because Fran doesn't care about the defensive deficiencies. He'd just be right. living. I mean, Jackson, seriously, Jackson could be a double digit scorer at Iowa if he'd gone there this year. That's possible. But he'd be no closer to having an effective pro career. Right. And I think that's important to point out that, yeah, he's that's the other stuff that he's going to need to, to shore up before he has any opportunity to play, you know, in the United States. It's <laughs> a professional. Absolutely. Player. Absolutely. But, you know, he went to the right place to try to do that. Yeah. And you're already seeing that. I think I'm not going to say it's fully bearing fruit, but I'll use the term from uh, economics when the cut co- when the country is coming out of a recession. You can see some green shoots coming up. You can see a few <laughs> blades of grass starting to pop up on that defensive plot of dirt. That is Jackson <laughs> Kohler's game, you know. And so that's a good sign. Not yet the spring equinox, but we're getting there for, for Jackson. So good. Uh, well, I think we'll kind of wrap it up there again. You know, if you have not had an opportunity to listen to Gary Norman's interview, please check it out. If you've already downloaded your podcast, we redownload it. So you get the proper audio for that. And again, check out nudge printing, great Spartan apparel and other college apparel for either clothing or also decals for things like cornhole and your computer or your car. 24% discount at, their website at nudgeprinting.com. Enter the coupon code FINAL4. Until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.